It's never too early to play holiday music, and it's never too early to start thinking about gifts. Whether it's for a friend or the friend in your pants, you can make this season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about his sack, and so should you. Look nice when you get naughty by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code POWERTRIP20 for free shipping and 20% off. Now that you've groomed your candy cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Packages shower products. All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve stank problems all day long. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. So get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code POWERTRIP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use that promo code POWERTRIP20. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Please welcome in our new sponsor, Fight Camp. Let's be honest, we could all use a little bit more motivation when it comes to working out. Allow me to introduce you to Fight Camp. Fight Camp is an interactive at-home boxing. They bring the best workout in the world into your home, and they make it fun. You can explore thousands of workouts led by expert trainers with decades of experience teaching proper boxing form and technique. Fight Camp has live punch counting stats that motivate you by counting each punch throughout your workout and pushing you to meet goals each round. As you progress, you'll unlock achievements and you can go head to head against other members, whether they're across the country or even across your living room. Man, that would be fun to challenge uh, a friend or a brother or a sister and you have some live action rounds going here like I could land more punches than you and so on. So, I mean, it just sounds like so much fun with Fight Camp because they have that versus mode and that is so cool. So make it a little challenge amongst yourselves. So one of the best things about Fight Camp is that it makes boxing accessible to everyone, no matter what fitness level you're at, what age you're at, or what experience of boxing you have. It doesn't matter. You could do it. And you're going to have a great time as well. So join the biggest boxing community in the world without leaving your home. Fight Camp packages start at just $99. They even offer some great financing options so you can get started for as low as $9 a month. To get everything you need, go to fightcamp.com slash two-man to learn more. That's fightcamp.com slash two-man, T-W-O-M-A-N. So that's right, folks. Go to fightcamp.com slash two-man and get all the motivation you need to start working out today. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay.
Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, a very, very special guest. He's, of course, a UFC Hall of Famer, a UFC Super Fight Champion. He's an NWA World Heavyweight Champion, a WWE Intercontinental Champion, Tag Champion. He is the legendary, the world's most dangerous man, Mr. Ken Shamrock. Ken, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. What is going on in your world? What have you been up to? Oh, man, I'm... I'm dipping into a lot of things, man. I get to travel around quite a bit, um, visit with fans, do meet and greets, uh, get to go to wrestling shows, go to some fights, just get to meet a lot of people. Um, you know, so it's been real fun. Uh, also, too, I've gotten into uh, putting my own uh, a fight league together, which is something I fell in love with early on in the UFC and also over in Japan was bare knuckle, open hand striking, bare knuckle striking, where it was God-given talent. So I put together an, an event called uh, Valor Sports or uh, Valor Bare Knuckle, which is what the league is called. Valor Sports is our business. But, um, yeah, so a lot going on. Very cool. What made you want to do that? You just, just your love of pancreas and, and just wanted to start that up? Well, I, I think a lot of it had to do with me um, loving the industry. I love fighting. I, I love competing for the fans. I love myself being in there and being able to challenge myself and compete. Um, but I did, I fell in love with um, more of the, the, you know, kind of the God given talent where you didn't have to wear a glove or tape your hands or, you know, just to, to wear something to make you better. Um, so I, I, I kind of was disappointed early on uh, when UFC put gloves on guys and they told them that they were trying to protect the fighters and, uh, you know, that's not true. I think we all know now that they were protecting the hand um, and not the head because they were protecting the head. They didn't put headgear on people, but they didn't do that. They, they put a glove on the hand because guys were breaking their hands. So they wanted to protect the guys that were winning. So that's the truth of the matter. And, and I feel just because of my experience in, inside the cage, uh, even inside uh, the uh, squared circle, I've got a lot of experience. I fought with gloves on. I fought with MMA gloves, tape, and I've also fought bare knuckle. And I could tell you from experience and also medical fact um, that putting a glove on somebody is not protecting the fighter. You're basically allowing them to be able to punch somebody more often uh, without hurting their hands than when you put a tape and a glove on, on, on a hand. So let's get that one straight. There was They weren't trying to, to protect the fighters. They were just trying to protect the fighters that were winning. So for me, I just wanted to go back to the, the grassroots of it. You know, mano y mano, uh, tough guys going in and fighting and not having any equipment to make them better. Now, are you retired? Are you, are you done fighting? Oh, I don't know. Um, probably, but, you know, it's not something that I even think about. You know, right now I'm so focused on being able to put this league together being able to uh, have fighters uh, be able to watch them the way that I was and the excitement that I had when I was able to walk into a ring and do something I love doing and get paid for it, uh, being able to, to turn around and give that to someone else, be able to, to offer opportunities for other fighters to come in and experience what I experienced. So that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. I've got a lot of social media stuff that we're also putting together um, you know, with people being able to stay in, in contact with us, not just with myself, but also with Valor Bare Knuckle, you know, even through my Instagram, which is the Ken Shamrock official. We're doing a lot of work there, um, trying to get people to recognize what we're doing. And I don't think it'll be any time at all that um, once we get this out there, 
uh, we're, we're actually designing what we call a, a uh, content house where we'll be able to, you know, have as many fights as we want, be able to have it uh, streamed through our social media platforms, which would be the Valor Bare Knuckle platform. It's called the Valor app. Uh, January 7th, we're doing a launch party for Valor. And um, uh, you, can, uh, you can go to the Valor app and check that out. It should have a countdown on there for our launch party. So if you want to check that out, or you can just go and if you want to see what I'm doing, Ken Shamrock, um, you can go to my Instagram at Ken Shamrock Official or my website, which is kenshamrock.com. So those are all, like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of stuff happening, but the main focus is definitely Valor Bare Knuckle. What makes a good bare knuckle fighter? Is it better footwork than a boxer? Like what, what makes it so much different? And and maybe even a guy that could be better. I'm sorry, you re-asked that because I got a call that came in. Oh, no problem. I was saying with bare knuckle, like what makes the guy better than another guy? Is it footwork? Like how come some guys can be better at bare knuckle than maybe even other like regular boxing? Well, I think it's one, you know, especially with somebody that's boxed for a long period of time and, and even MMA fighters who have, have fought MMA for a long time, Val, the bare knuckle is different um, because one, uh, when you've got a, a MMA glove on, and you got tape on it, your hands are bigger. Uh, imagine a boxing glove that's even bigger. So guys are able to parry and block punches when they've got those gloves on because they're big enough to be able to block. So guys can kind of stand in front of somebody, somebody punches at them, and they can parry it or block it or palm it. Um, but bare knuckle, you can't do that. So that means that you can't sit in the pocket and block punches and counter. It means you've got to use your footwork to be either move side to side and be able to slip punches and be able to stay out of the range, or if you're in range, slipping punches and countering off of that. But it's not like you can stand there like in boxing and pick a boo or – or, or parry punches or palm punches because bare knuckle, they'll get through. So it's much more faster and you have to have a uh, better footwork and your punch has got to be more accurate because in boxing or MMA, you can miss a target. You can throw hard. And if you miss and hit him in the head, you're okay. But if you do that with bare knuckle, you're going to break your hand. So you have to be more accurate and less power because it doesn't take much with a bare knuckle to be able to drop somebody. If you hit them on the button, so I've always felt like it should be that way, even with gloves on, that you don't need the power because if you catch them on the button, they're going to go down. So more accuracy, speed, and footwork is what really makes bare knuckle exciting and fun to watch. Is there any guys to look out for, like the big names for you guys that you think are you know top of the top of the food chain? Well, I, I could go right off the top of my head. I think Lavar Johnson is just—he's a beast. Um, I know Mark Godbeer who won our tournament. Uh, those two guys we wanted to fight. I don't know if that's going to happen because we didn't get to that fight soon enough, but um, hopefully we can put that together. But if not, um, I know LeVar Johnson's just drooling and waiting to jump in and, and, and bang with somebody, and he's a big puncher. He knocked out uh, Sweeney in our fight, man, and it was pretty impressive. Uh, so we look forward to that. Hopefully we can get Mark Godbeer back. I know he lives in England. It's tough to get him over, but – uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. But I know this. I know we're looking right now. We're going to different cities. We're traveling around. We're going to different gyms. Um, and uh, we're looking for guys that want to fight. We're offering guys to be able to come in and be able to fight on some of these what we call content uh, shows where we're bringing in fighters. And uh, we're shooting all kinds of content. We'll have 15, 16 fights 
uh, and we're looking for that new star. So, um, you know, just look and look for Valor Bare Knuckle. Go to the Valor, Valor app if, if you're interested in, in being one of our fighters because uh, this is going to take off. We're excited about it because I believe this is the next big sporting event. It's different. It reminds me of the original UFC when you had style against style. Um, because I believe if you take an MMA fighter and a professional boxer and you put them inside the bout circle, people are going to say, well, boxer has the advantage. Well, it hasn't worked out like that because boxers are used to different size of gloves. And they're used to being able to throw punches and not hit their target and not hurt their hand. As opposed to taking a glove or taking the tape off, you better be accurate. Because if you don't, these guys are used to having their hands pampered and they're soft and they hit a hard bone, it's going to hurt and possibly break. So it really is exciting to watch and be able to see what kind of style really does well here. Yeah, it's different than, than what you'd think. Like you were mentioning, like the gloves. I don't even think about stuff like that. That's true. You really have to think. You're not going to be able to fight like a normal boxer would fight or – you know, be able to move your your your, your shoulder or, or put the gloves up. It's a lot different. Very much so. And that's why when we do these fights and we've got MMA and uh, fighting some boxers, you, you'd be really shocked on how competitive it is. And then we even get guys in there that are just basically street fighters, guys that have been tough and just brawlers. You put them in there and they have done well because they haven't had that, that uh, professionalism into them where they're, they're used to being able to, use the glove to palm or to, to block or strike. They're used to going in and just throwing down because that's where they came from. So yep. it's really exciting to see, you know, the boxers come in, MMA guy comes in, and this, these two badasses come in. Um, it's really exciting to watch because this is something that's so different that people aren't used to. Even guys in boxing who think, oh, this we can do this, they get in there and realize this isn't the same thing as boxing. It's not the same thing as MMA. So it's a different world, especially the way that now we have um, the actual surface set up too. Boxers and MMA guys can't back up against the rope or cages because there are none. So in that sense, it's also different. There's nowhere for them to actually escape to. They have to keep moving forward and, and using their footwork from side to side to be able to stay in the fight. Wow, that's interesting too, because you you think they get back into the ropes or back of the cage or do something to kind of get away. You, you can't really. It's almost like all action. It really is, and too, a lot of times when you see some of these fights, the bo most boring thing when you talk about uh, uh, boxing, right? It's the clinch. And yeah. so, what I've done is I've taken out that clinch. You can't clinch. You know, and you have to keep your hands closed. So when you get into the clinch, you can't grab them, you can't hook them because there's no gloves or tape. So it's you're holding them. So you can't do that. Your hands have to stay closed. And when you give you inside, you got to punch out from being inside. You can't grab them and have the ref break you. That ain't happening. If you do, you get a point taken away. And if you lose a point, man, there's only three rounds, man. That's hard to catch up from. So it'll be a process for people to really learn that, you know, like, no, you can't grab it. You can't clinch. You got to punch out of that. That makes it faster. Also not having the ropes or the cages. It also makes it faster because you can't back up and kind of lay on it and do rope adult. You can't do it because there's nothing there. So it has really made the pace so much faster than what fans are used to watching, and that makes it exciting. And like you can't hold on and hug. You're about to get knocked out either. You, you know what I mean? You have to separate. The old Mike Tyson thing where guys would just grab him so he couldn't get off. 
you can't do that here, man. You're either there to fight or or don't come. Don't 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 come compete with us because we want guys that want to fight. Absolutely. With Tyson, was that ever like a real thing that was going to happen? You against Mike? Was that ever real? Was that ever going to surface anywhere? Anywhere? The two you know most dangerous guys in the world at one point. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've heard talk about it, but nothing from him and nothing from me either. It's just was talk. But again, I, I've got, I, I, I ain't crazy, right? I mean, I know how good Mike is with his with his boxing. So if I was to box him and not say, I, I mean, I have a problem doing that because I love the fight. But I'm not stupid enough to realize that hey, I'm gonna go out and out box Mike Tyson because I can't. But he, I hope he realizes the same thing, and he, he, he wouldn't be stupid to realize that he could take me in an MMA fight because that wouldn't happen either. <laughs> right, right. It'd be like uh, Couture when he fought James Tunney. He just took him down, and it was over, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's all he needed to do, just avoid the punch and then take him down and, and, and just tap him out. Yeah, and in, in, in the world that I live in, trying to hit somebody when they're trying to take you down um, – if you happen to do hit them, you don't you don't got no power. You you know there's no power when you're shooting on somebody and your timing is way off. You're not able to turn your hips over. You can't really get under it. So it's very difficult to catch somebody um, when they're doing a low shot on you and be able to hurt them. So it, it would be a rough night for Mike. But if it was boxing, it would be a rough night for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny with you. Like, everybody always goes, oh, he was so – like, when they're talking about WWF, they're like, oh, he was such a great wrestler coming from the UFC world. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. You're you're really a pro wrestler that was a MMA first. So it's one of the things where, like, wow, pro wrestling is like the grandfather of MMA if you really look at it. Well, and it's something I've explained when, when people talk about my pancreas days and they asked how it got started. Uh, Suzuki and Fanaki basically came to me and said, you know, they wanted to take this, what we called hybrid wrestling. Um, and they wanted to make it real. And, uh, that was the UWF where the ending was predetermined, but you were striking, kicking, doing submissions, but you know, the ending was predetermined. And so they wanted to go, they wanted to know what it would be like to turn pro wrestling real and, uh, the hybrid shoot pro wrestling. And so that's why we formed Pancras, because we wanted to be able to see what it would be like to make this style of pro wrestling real. And that's how what you came up with. And now, of course, now you got the the UFC, which is a form of that. No holes barred, mixed martial arts um, from no holes barred to mixed martial arts, which is what that whole system was when we said, let's take pro wrestling and let's make it real. That's what mixed martial arts is. Yeah, it really, it really is. I th- feel like some people just, I don't know, for some reason, bad things to say about pro wrestling when they talk about MMA, but it it is, you know, it kind of did grandfather it in for sure. Yeah, and I think it's just people that don't want to accept pro wrestling. They don't want to think that there's anything real about it. And uh, I get it, you know, there's a bunch of guys running around with their socks pulled up and in Speedos, and you know, they're talking all this smack and, you know, it, it's not real. It's like, but, you know, I get it because I was one of those people before I actually did it. You know, I was like, okay, there's a lot to this. I mean, obviously they're not going to walk into an MMA ring and and be able to compete because they they, they could. Um, But at the same time, neither could an MMA guy go into a pro wrestling ring and be able to be successful at that unless they practiced and being able, just like a wrestling guy, if they went in, they'd have to practice in order to be able to be successful in MMA. So, 
it goes hand in hand. There's a lot to both of them. Um, people ask what's one I got hurt more in and it was pro wrestling because I had to give my body to guys and you know, you're just getting slammed and punched and kicked and hit with chairs and all this stuff. And that's a, that's a punishment on your body. And when I was fighting, I didn't have to do anything. I could take a guy out in 30 seconds if I wanted to. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was, uh, definitely a, a wake up call for me on the, the things that those wrestlers had to do and what they put their bodies through. I was talking to Boss Root not that long ago, and he was saying because he did some pro wrestling in Japan in the, in the 2000s, he was saying pro wrestling was harder than MMA, and like you, sometimes you get surprised hearing that from certain guys. Yeah, it's harder, and I think people have to take into context what he means. Is in in some aspects, it's harder as far as you know somebody going in there and, and and fighting. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong, because it's brutal. Guys are really trying to hurt you. Whereas in pro wrestling, it's choreographed. You're working together, but you're still taking the bumps. You're still taking, getting hit with chairs. You're just learning how to take it. And you're doing it, you know, over and over and over again every week. And that could take a toll on your body. So that's what I think people have to understand about when you're saying it's definitely tough. And it's sometimes in some cases harder because in fighting, you don't have to get slammed. You don't have to get hit with a chair. You don't have to get punched because if you're good enough, like I was at the time and his boss was in his time, was that we were able to take guys down and take no punishment whatsoever. In pro wrestling, you have no choice but to take punishment. It's funny, Boss is one of those guys. You always had his number, even though he he hardly lost. You know, he had all this, but you always had his number for whatever reason. I think he was. It was very difficult for him uh, because I was one. I was pretty dang strong, and I had great wrestling ability, um, and I was able to negate any type of submission that he wanted to put on because, I mean, that was my game. And, uh, and I was a pretty decent uh, striker at the time. Uh, and one of the fights, I was able to counter him, force him to commit, and then take him down. Um, so I did. At that time, I did have his number. Beat him twice, two different times. One time, I beat him, and it took me 12 minutes. I don't remember how long. And the next time, I beat him even faster. So um, I was getting better very quickly. Me and him had similar experience. Uh, he, was, he was a professional uh, kickboxer, I believe, at professional fights. I was not a professional at all in anything. I wrestled in high school. That's it. Um, and then I was a pro wrestler. That was, I did after I was a pro wrestler. Then I went in uh, to Pancras and I started training with Pancras. I was in UWF before that, but that was also pro wrestling. So we did the first Pancras event, me and boss together. We both had our first um, experience in the real shoot um, in Pancras my first experience was at the Tokyo Dome when I fought um, Don Naka Nielsen uh, when we were in Fujiwara Gumi. But that was the first real shoot I ever did um, was Don Naka Nielsen, other than the gym itself. Uh, so when Pankers happened and we did that tournament and I fought Fanaki, uh, I believe, in the main event, that was really the first time that anybody ever saw what pro wrestling would look like when it was real. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny, like when you look at some of those guys that, that you would think are pro wrestlers, but they're actually good shoe fighters, like obviously you, um, Minoru Suzuki, Funaki, uh, eventually Sakuraba, like there's a bunch of guys that technically are from the pro wrestling where uh, Severn could be considered too, like a pro wrestler. It's interesting, like the guys that can adapt and, and do it for real. Yeah. And, and, and again, it says something about, you know, the pro wrestling industry um, that, there's a lot of tough guys in there, right? I mean, they all had some sort of athletic background prior, some of them, not all of them, 
prior to getting into pro wrestling, whether it be football, boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, whatever, judo, whatever it may be, they had some sort of athletic background that brought them into pro wrestling. That's true. You have they have the, the good base. They have you know what I mean the the strong base. Like wrestling was was your strong base. Yeah, I I was uh I broke my neck my senior year in high school, but I was undefeated. Uh, my senior year, I beat two Nevada State champions during that time before I broke my neck. So um, I I had some pretty strong background in wrestling, and then I was in the Olympic trials in '88. I just went in and tried to did it because it, my friend challenged me uh, after we were out all night. The trials were in Reno, and so yeah, I went in there and I won my first two matches. <laughs> I just went out just uh, because he challenged me and said I couldn't do it. I said let's go, and so I signed up. Went and I did the uh, trials in '88 uh, in Reno, Nevada, at the convention center. And won my first two matches, and the second one I lost. Well, just for shits and giggles. Just because, yeah, he challenged yeah. me, so you could just go in and do it. And I, like I said, I had a background. Uh, I wrestled, and so I was pretty good at it. And I also, at last in college, I would go up to their their uh, college up there, and they had a wrestling team up there, and I would wrestle with their heavyweights because that's why I lived. And I would just go up and wrestle with them, and I would beat their heavyweights. But I wasn't interested in wrestling. I just, you know, I wanted to play football, and that's what I did. Wow, so you just kind of were almost like a natural, so to speak. Yeah, I, I had really natural ability, Um you know, even in street fights, it's like uh, I never got beat, um, you know. So uh, everywhere I went, I was well known not to mess with me. I wasn't a bully. I didn't pick on him. I didn't start fights. But if you if you were picking on somebody or if you decided that you wanted to go, I was your huckleberry. So how'd you get in UFC, though? Like, how did they recruit you? How did they find it? Were they just looking at the Pancrase guys and, and they kind of would go from there? No, actually, UFC, uh, I found it through one of my uh, fighters in the Lions Den brought me this uh, this flyer about this no holes barred. And I was kind of like, nah, man, that's pro wrestling. Anything says no holes barred, that's all pro wrestling stuff. And he said, no, they, you should look at this tape and everything. And they, so they started showing this tape of Gracie and all them, how they were beating guys and they would make this challenge. And, of course, I was already the champion over in Japan. And I was like, how do I get into this? And so there was a number, and I remember calling, and Art Davies was the one I talked to and kind of told him who I was. And he did some background checks. And he got back to me and said, you're in. And so that's how I got in was that I was already doing it in Japan. And then here they had this thing they were talking about, they were doing, which the Gracies were doing for 50 years, uh, you know, fighting people in their gyms and challenging anybody, and they were winning. And so I didn't even hear about it or know about it any of this stuff and so for for me when i first went in the ufc it was all new to me i didn't know who these guys were i knew i was a champion in japan i just felt like nobody else knew what i knew of course when i when i got in there i realized that i wasn't the only one that could grapple <laughs> right yeah i feel like there was no tape on anybody you know what i mean like they, they would, like now people study tape what does the guy do what are tendencies that not then there's none of that stuff you couldn't, you couldn't pull up anything. I mean, I get Gracie's had it out there where they were showing that like, they were making these challenges, but you didn't get enough of, to look at to be able to dissect anything and really understand what they were doing uh, until you actually got in and fought them. And so we, everybody was at a disadvantage going into that tournament because this is what they did. This is what they understood. And everybody else was walking into their, their wheelhouse like this is what they knew how to do. 
So we were all being led to slaughter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I and again, I don't want to get people to get wrong, but I thought what they did was genius because what Hoy and Gracie did was brilliant because he basically built this platform for marketing Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. Definitely. It was interesting because Hickson, who people knew for Valley Tudo and, you know, different MMA, like you would think he'd be the guy, but they put Hoist in there. It was almost nobody really knew who he was, but everybody knew who Hickson was. Well, I think the idea was because Hoist was smaller than everybody else. And that what they wanted to do is they wanted to show what the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system was, which was they would turn your energy against you, your aggressiveness against you. And then they would be able to sell this tool as a self-defense class. So like I said, it was brilliant what they were doing because they took the smallest guy, the brother, and said, go in there and win. Don't hurt anybody, but go in there and win. And we're going to market this to the world. We're going to show these people that are smaller that now they have some place to go to be able to defend themselves. It's really smart, obviously really good strategy. Uh, obviously, you end up fighting Hoist twice, UFC 1 and UFC 5. One, of course, the loss, which which is uh, probably a <laughs> sticking point, right, for you? He's like, hello. <laughs> yeah. But it seemed like UFC 5, you were ready for him that time. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, another thing I ran into is they also changed the time limit. That wasn't Gracie's that did that. It was more of the need because of the block of time that you had for this pay-per-view thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't anything when I talk about this, uh, it has nothing to do with the Gracie's. They, they weren't in charge of changing that time. It was something that had to happen, but for, it, unfortunately it worked out in their favor because I had really trained. Remember, I just, none of us understood what it is that they were doing. Right. Nobody had ever seen it. Right. So I got caught off guard. Uh, he was able to choke me with the gear. Looked to me like he used the arm, but he was using his hand or try his hand up into the gi uh, so that I couldn't pull it off. You, you know, grab his arm and pull it off. I It was tied up into the gi. So it was it was difficult to get it off. And, of course, they took my shoes away so that I wasn't able to get any grip. So I got caught with that. Well, when that happened, I realized, like, okay, I just got I, – I, I ended up getting humbled because I realized, listen, you don't know it all because you're a champion in Japan. That don't make you a champion anywhere else. You got to go back to the drawing board and real kind of figure out what it is they're doing. Because I want to fight them again, and I, obviously I got that opportunity. But the next time I got the opportunity, I wanted to make sure that I was prepared. And the one thing I told myself was, I'm going to prove that I'm in better shape, and that my submission skills are better, uh, and that you know when it comes to conditioning, that nobody can outlast me because I knew I was in great shape. Uh, and so I went in and did that. Unfortunately, you know, the day before the the fight, I was pulled in and told that there would be a 30 minute time limit. And for me, that was that was devastating because I had trained for a three hour fight and I literally believed it was going to take at least an hour, 45 minutes to an hour before I would get him where I wanted him. Uh, and I didn't get that chance. But if you watch how the fight unfolded, I couldn't change my strategy. I had to keep with what I was going to do. I was going to force him to have to move. It's going to force. I was going to turn the tables on what he was trying to do to everybody else, which was when he hit him in the head with an open palm or do the heel strikes. They meant nothing. All they were doing was getting people to want to move or feel like they had to move so that he was able to apply that submission. Well, I ignored that, and I actually punched him in the body 
I would headbutt him. I would put pressure down on his belly with my arms and push down so he couldn't breathe. Nothing that was impactful, but just stuff that would make him have to move or he would run out of breath. I would keep pushing down on his stomach so he couldn't breathe. I would punch him. I would headbutt him. And all this stuff was all methodical because it was in my training was to just break him down piece by piece until he couldn't move. And then I would finish him. And that literally was what I was doing. And if you watch the fight unfold, it took me about 36 minutes to where I basically had him because at the end of 36 minutes, because it kept calling for overtimes, right? Even yep. though it was supposed to be a 30 minute fight, Horian came up and said, let's do another. Th I asked me if I was okay going longer. And I said, absolutely. Now, Hoist didn't want to go longer because I remember his brother saying he can't go because I wore him out in, in 30 minutes. And so then after we went again, I was able to catch him with the punch, which told you that I was pushing him where I wanted him to go because he couldn't defend himself. Then when I got him on the ground, I kept punching the face, put my hands over his face. I would hit him. I'd headbutt him. I started putting more pressure on to start breaking him down even quicker because I knew it hadn't much time. So when that timeline ended, I, I came up again and I thought, okay, we're going to go again because, you know, they're always going to want to win. So they're always going to want to keep going. And so I thought that was going to happen again and I was ready to go, but they didn't want to go. In fact, is Horian wanted to go some more and then the corner told Horian, no, he can't go anymore. So I did what I needed to do. I wanted to go in there and show him that, hey, you're not going to be in better shape than me. Your skill sets are not better than mine and that I'm going to beat you and that if you keep going, you will lose. And uh, unfortunately, if they would have wouldn't have had a time limit, I would have been able to prove that. And I think if you watch the fight and you see the way it ended and where and how exhausted he was at the end of that, you would have known that what I was doing was working to a T. And lucky there's no judges either, because that would have probably been a win for you. Yeah, I don't like to get into that because we all went in there and fought and knew there were no judges. I right. knew that, right? right? So I can't go and say, well, I want to, I wanted to change that. I won that fight. I, <laughs> right. you know, it's a draw because there were no judges. But if people want to look at it and make their own decision, that's fine too. When you look at it, it's like, okay. You're you're great UFC. Why did you jump to WB? Was there like a, a big money offer for WB? Did you feel like you done it? Did it all in UFC, or or like what was the thought process in going to WBF in '97? Well, I had built a pretty good uh, world. Uh, you know, I had fighters. I had a fighters house. You know, I had a group home for kids where I was helping at risk kids. I was running it with my father. I had my house. Um, and I had this gym that had three different buildings. There was one with a weight room in it. There was one with the boxing, all the boxing skills, stand-up skills. And then there was a matted area. So I had these three buildings. And so all of this money was like $30,000 a month to keep this stuff running. And so I, when I was doing the USC and I built in and also, um, Japan that I had built in this payment thing that I needed to be able to support my family and to support this world that I built, giving kids a chance to, succeed in life through the group home because that's what happened with me i also was giving fighters a chance to be able to come and, and train with me and, and and fight and and fulfill their dreams and so i had built these things and i felt that it you know if i stayed in the ufc during that time and i would have taken the money that they were going to give me which wasn't what they they promised that i was going to get the next year I wouldn't have been able to keep all of that up and running. I would have been able to support my family. And so I had to make a decision on whether I was going to continue following my dreams 
and then cut off the group home and the fighter's house and just focus on me and my family because I would have been able to do that. Right. Or I had to put what I had built, the fighters, the group home kids, and my family first before me, before me being able to go and do what I love doing. And so I chose to, to make sure everybody else kept moving forward with their dreams. And so I ended up saying, I'm going to go do something else. I didn't know what at the time, but I knew I couldn't continue to fight, uh, at least in UFC, and be able to support this thing that I had developed with what they were going to pay me. So I told them I couldn't do it. Everything was fine. It was kosher. But I had to go find something. And I didn't know. I really didn't know. And fortunately, UFC, or not UFC, but um, <clears throat> WWF came around and Vince immediately called me uh, when my uh, agent actually put out offers and feelers that I was interested in maybe getting into the pro wrestling world, which because I had done it before, but I didn't even know if I was going to be able to make the money I needed there either. So, but it was uh, something that I was trying to figure out where I was going to go and what I was going to do next. Fortunately, Vince came back and they made me a great offer um, to where I could keep everything up and going. And so that's what I did. So who helps train you? Was that Bret Hart or who helps get you back in, in, in wrestling shape, if you will? Yeah, I went up to Calgary and I worked out with uh, the Brett, uh, Brett and some of the other guys that were in there, the Hart family. Uh, and so it was tremendous because it really helped me understand who I needed to be. Not Vince Torelli, Mr. Wrestling Vince Torelli, but I needed to be Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. The guy that's in there that's fighting bare knuckle, that's the baddest man in the world. I had to go in with that image and I had to go in with those skill sets. I couldn't go in and do hip tosses and sunset flips and all these things that pro wrestlers are doing because that's not who I was. I had to go in there with the submission skills that I had using my skill sets to counter pro wrestling moves. And that's what I was taught. It's like, do what you do and counter what these guys are doing to you in the pro wrestling world. That's what made me successful was I wasn't trying to do what they were doing. I was going to try and counter what they were doing with what I was doing. I love it because once they put you in there, your first match out there with Vader, it's like, oh, shit, like this, this is going to be uh, something different. It, that, I mean, great match, but it's funny to see a guy 400 pounds getting you know tossed around, getting beat up, you know? Yeah, it, you know, and it was a good measuring tool for me. And I'm glad Vader was the one, you know, rest his soul. Um, but he was a tough guy. And he did some show, he had some fights himself. And he's a tough guy. And so for them to put him with me and be able to go in and have that match. And it wasn't, I'm not, people were like, dude, you guys, you, you, are you mad at one another? It's like, me and Vader were cool. I mean, I broke his nose by accident, but that happens, right? I mean, it wasn't yeah. a purpose. I told him, sorry, but he was fine. And so then uh, people were always like, man, you guys got mad at you one another? He it's like, I'm like, I felt that was like a, I was normal, like a sparring session for me and in, in, in fighting in the gym. It was like a sparring session. You're not trying to knock anybody out, but you're hitting them, right? You're not knocking them out, but you're still hitting them. And that's what it felt like to me. It was like we were just going in there and having a sparring session and we were working with one another. But I guess on the outside, it looked like we were really kicking the crap out of one another. So it, it got over well. Yeah, oh, it looks great. It got over real well, but it was a perfect compliment for you because it's like, okay, this is a big test. You know, he's he's a monster. Let's see what Ken's got. And then you beat him. You know, it helps you get over very, very soon with, with the WWE audience. 
Yeah, I did with the audience, but the locker room was a different oh, story. Work with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they understood because, again, it was a good measuring tool for me. And Brett even said, hey, you're going to have to ease up. But that was a great match. I said, now take that and ease it up. If you could do that, that same aggression, the same movement and all of that stuff without, you know, you know, tone it down 10 times, you're in. And so at least I had that measuring tool to go, okay, I get it. Now I know where I got to be. And so I was able to do that afterwards. And obviously guys in the first couple matches were nervous after seeing the Vader. Um, so they were a little bit more cautious, but after I was there for about six months and I understood what it is that I needed to do, it wasn't a problem. I, uh, you know, after that, man, I was off to the races and we were having great matches. And it's funny. The rock is there, right? He turns to a heel. He turns into a bad guy, but he's not quite there yet. And it's funny because people now think number one, uh, boxed office star. He's the you're king of Hollywood. His feud with you really set him off in that trajectory because he was kind of floundering a little bit. I know he had a cool character once he turned bad, but that feud is kind of what elevated him. And I know, I know other people have said it too. I think that you helped the rock a lot along the way. Yeah. I think we helped each other. You know, I mean, like uh, I was able to do a lot of things. Obviously, I didn't get the push that he did um, that. But again, they had a lot of stars and a lot of things going on. So it was what it was. Um, but I think that there's no question in my mind that we were able to help both of us get to where we are today. Uh, even though I was already a fighter, I already built my name. But because I was able to have those matches with him in pro wrestling, it gives me a legacy because of the matches me and him had and the way we were able to build one another up. My legacy is now cemented in the World Wrestling Federation. And it made a lot of sense. Like, let's say he would win or, or you would win, then you get DQ'd or he would win sneakily. Like, it was very well done, like, to, to keep the fans' interest each time because then it's like, that's how Ken Shamrock would react if, you know, if there was a DQ or he maybe he wouldn't let go of the ankle lock if, if he was pissed at somebody. Well, and I think, too, what they, they did, too, was like they think that they were trying to figure out a way to kind of keep both of us energized and over. Yep. Um, because, you know, we were in a position to where we were on the undercard and that we were competing against guys like Stone Cold, we were, uh, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, uh, the, uh, the, the, X, the X Generation. I mean, there was just a lot of big names uh, that were there. You know, you had the Road Warriors. There was a lot of big names there. Me and The Rock were no names. Like, we were just coming into this thing. And then when we put our matches on, we very quickly became right in the mix with all of them because of our matches that we were able to have. Great feud. You guys did so much great stuff. Did you expect world title at all? Was world title ever promised? Was anything promised to you when you were in there? Yeah, nothing promised. I mean, yeah. even if they come and tell you, you're going to want to do put the strap on you. And, you know, nothing's ever promised. And you're not, you're not owed anything. You, you go and do your job. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, you put on a good show, uh, you put on a good match, and that's your job. That's what you, that's all you promised, and you, you promise yourself that. And you go out and you do what you do, and then the rest of it is just the way it is. You just, you, you know, you, you're not promised anything, and you just move on. And as far as I'm concerned, I did what I was supposed to do, and I was happy with what I did, and I thought that I put myself in the best position I could. Um, to be able to be in that position to be able to get pushed, but it didn't happen. But again, like I said, there was a lot of stars there 
And I was just grateful to be a part of that whole thing, that whole attitude error, me being part of that, and even me being the one that helped push that attitude error. Yeah, you fit in there like a glove, the attitude error. It's like it just goes perfect together, especially that that time period. Well, it was exciting, too, because I think when we were able to kick it off was definitely the Stone Cold and Bret Hart match where I refereed it. It really, We really got the ball rolling, rolling with that match and really just never looked back after that. Funny, many people consider it to be the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. You're right there in the center of it. Yeah, so, you know, and again, like I said, there's a – there's a lot of things there that I'm happy that I was a part of and that I could be at least be one of the actual main people in there to help push the attitude error because I don't think there was anybody more more of an attitude than myself coming from where I came from. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Obviously, you, know, you got the UFC Hall of Fame, you got the TNA Hall of Fame. Did you ever think about WWE Hall of Fame or that doesn't not like not on your radar? It's not something you think about. No, I don't think about it. I think if it happens, it happens. You know, I'm not in control of that, but I did everything that, that I believed I needed to do to be recognized, but it's not my call. You don't worry about it then, obviously. You don't. No. I mean, listen, man, I got so many things going on right now that I'm not done. Like this Hall of Fame, everybody wants to wait. And they think that that's, you know, the end of the road for them. They want to make sure they get recognized for all the work that they've done because they ain't doing anything else. That's not with me, man. I got a lot of other stuff going on with Valor, um, you know, being able to push all the social media platforms, the Kid Shamrock brand. Man, we're really we're moving, and so I don't have time to, to try to worry about things I can't control. What I can control is the things I'm building now. So I got to mention, you leave WB, obviously. You go back, Pride. I'm sure Pride pays pretty well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they probably they want to do that. But then back to the UFC again for the Tito Ortiz feud. And Dana White even admits, like Ken was the reason, kind of what launched UFC a little bit into the stretch here. Because without the, your feud with Tito, they were floundering too. Like where where do they go? I mean, that was huge for them at that point. Yeah, it was it was big because you know Tito was just he was such a, uh, a a star. I mean, like the guy had charisma. Uh, in my opinion, pound for pound, at that time nobody could beat the guy. I mean, he was he was it, and uh, and he had this charisma. But there was nobody they could have him fight that would be equal uh, with charisma, with being able to promote the fight and going in and fighting. And so I know when Dana approached me, you know, they were dying. They couldn't, they put all these fights together that you thought would probably sell, but they didn't because they didn't yep. have star power. And Tito was a star, but he just didn't have the adversary for him. And so when they approached me, I was like, man, we already have a few. I mean, like me and this guy already got issues. And so uh, because of the tank thing, right, that whole thing that, me and Tank and him talking like he talked. He was part of that crew. So there was something to build on. So when they did that, I thought to myself, yeah, man, I'll take the fight. Now, I the original thing when he approached me was I was going to wait till I got my knee fixed. But he said, we, we can't wait. I had already been fighting on it because it wasn't a complete blown ACL. It was a torn ACL. And it wasn't tendons or muscles or anything like that. It was just a shredded ACL. A lot of football players play with braces with that. So it's not. It's not a major thing other than it does it does uh, affect your movement quite a bit, uh, side right. to side, back to back. It can slip here and there. So it was in that case it was because I couldn't tape it going into a fight. I could wear a knee thing on there. I couldn't wear a brace. 
Um, so I could tape under the knee brace, but I couldn't, not a knee brace, but under the spandex, but I couldn't wear the brace to support it. So I told him I would, I would I'd love to do the fight, but I got to get my knee fixed. And he's like, oh, dang, you know, he says, we got this fight coming up. I really wanted to, to make this happen. And so I kind of, when I him on around and I said, all right, uh, I can, I mean, I've been fighting on it for a year now. I can fight another fight on it. So it won't hurt that much. So I end up doing the fight with the torn ACL. Uh, the first time around. So, but again, like I said, it was, uh, you know, being a fighter, you always believe you can find ways to win. And uh, Tia was just too good. I mean, he was at the top of his game, pound for pound, the best fighter in the world at the time. Um, but I'm, I'm happy that I was able to be a part of being able to bring the USC to where it is today. Um, and even if I was healthy, I want people to truly understand this. I was in my late 40s, 48, 49, something like that. The first time I fought Tito, right? So I wasn't a spring chicken. So even if I didn't have the injury and I was completely healthy, Tito would have beat me. <laughs> no question, because I wasn't in my prime. So I want to get that out of there. The injury didn't stop Tito from beating me. It was my age uh, that beat me. Um, but Tito was, even if I was in my prime and I was 32 years old or 27 years old, we still would have had a hell of a match. Obviously, me being who I am, believed I could have pulled it out, just like I'm sure he believes he could pull it out too. So, but we'll right. never know that. So, but um, yeah, so I was really, like I said, look back on it. And I'm glad that I was a part of it because that was my legacy. And no matter whether I won or lost, um, I needed to do that so that UFC didn't die because it was very close to being shut down. Yeah, that that feud. I mean that that. That saved it. That got so much interest. And then obviously the ultimate fighter and then, you know, the rest is history. But without that feud, who knows? Because people were losing interest in it big time. Yeah, no question. And I, they had a star in Tito, but it's like I remember watching Tito go, man, this guy's, I mean, electrifying. I mean, he's amazing. But it seems like every time he fought somebody, it was flat. Like they, they weren't coming at him. They weren't pushing this fight or trying to build this fight up. They were basically already succeeding that they were going to get beat because he was that good. Yeah. Um, so, so when I went in there, I realized like, okay, I you know I got an uphill battle, but boy, I tell you what, we're going to make sure everybody watches this fight. <laughs> and everybody was rooting for you too. Like, Oh, beat this guy's ass. You know, he's a bad guy, you know, yeah. this and that. you're like the legend, you know, so you had a lot of backing. So that was such an interesting feud for that time period, for sure. It really did. And I think it really, Tito did well. Like I said, Tito was a star in himself. He just needed somebody to be able to put him there, like literally be able to the legacy that I had, the winning, the, the record, you know, being the first champion, all these things. And now all of a sudden, here I am facing the younger guy that's coming up and able to pass that torch on to him. And he was able to take that torch and push those numbers through the roof. Now, speaking of legacy, what do you think is your legacy i mean you look at pro wrestling you look at mma obviously as a boss an entrepreneur like what do you think is your legacy looking at back at it yeah i mean you know, ken shamrock was was an innovator um and innovated a lot of things i mean my dna is all over what you see in in mma now um you know you talk about the ultimate fighter house that's my dna this the fight lines and fight training all of that stuff i started that I was the one that brought fighters in from everywhere to be able to try out so that they could be on my team and be able to fight. They do that everywhere now where they bring people in and try them out. They even have a, the UFC's even built a show around yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah. 
it, it's, it, I mean, that's on there. Uh, all the stuff that I developed with the punching, kicking, and shooting, I did all that stuff first, you know, the ground and pound. Obviously, I know Mark Coleman is saying he's the godfather of ground and pound, and he is because he's the one that made it famous. But I built that for Royce Gracie. I put that together to sit in the guard and not try to pass the guard because it would open yourself up to submissions trying to fight to get out of the guard. So I basically said, okay, I'm going to sit in the guard. And I'm just going to ground a pounding from there. And so, but Mark Coleman made it famous. No question. I don't, I don't want to take that from him, man. He made it famous, but I developed that <laughs> ground and pound. Right. Yeah. Poor always Gracie. <laughs> yep. So my and DNA it, is over all over everything, even in pro wrestling. When you look at pro wrestling now, my DNA is all over everything they do in there when it comes to the submissions, the choke slam into an arm bar, the hip heist into a knee bar, uh, sunset flip into a knee bar, toe holds. People are copying that all over the place. So I think if you look at the Ken Shamrock and how innovative I was in that at that time when nobody had done it yet, and I did. <laughs> And it's funny too, like the ankle lock became like so many, obviously Kurt Angle, but so many people started using it after you. Like it, the Jack Swagger, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. How many people started using that move? It was legit. I mean, like now you're talking about pro wrestling with the legitimate shoot hole. Yeah, definitely. So as we wind it down here, we head towards the finish. Got to know, how do you stay in, in such good shape because i bet you you probably obviously wouldn't remember this but it was probably a few months ago maybe even uh, five six months ago in philly i couldn't believe like how good of shape you how do you stay in such good shape you know it's a lifestyle um i have just always been that guy that you know when just because i get done fighting doesn't mean i stop being me and me as being an athlete and so training and staying in shape and you know doing all the right things so um I think that's where a lot of people make a mistake. The professional athletes themselves make a mistake is that when they get done and they get retired, they just go, okay, I can eat. I can go do whatever I want because I don't have to perform anymore. Yeah. You got a wife, you got grandkids, you got family, you know, you still want to go out on the weekends. You want to have fun. You want to be energetic. This all, you can't just stop being healthy. And so you see a lot of that happen with athletes and they just blow up and then they end up dying five years later. It's sad because there's still a whole lot of life left. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know. They feel like they could be out of shape, I guess, in, in a certain aspect. They feel like now they can eat cause they don't got to have cardio. They don't got to look good cause they're not taking the shirt off. They don't have to run four forties or jump, you know, 10 feet high or be strong. And so they just, just start, eating but instead of training and eating they just eat and they stop training and they just blow up because they're not burning that those calories that they're putting into their bodies that they normally are used to doing right definitely yeah so give us one last big push for uh, for valor and what's going on with the uh, the bare knuckle yeah valor again like i said it's something that um i my vision was to try to make it more fan friendly so what i did was i took the ropes down and I took the cage down and built this little, what we call the bout circle, which is kind of like a pit. And so that when fans are sitting there in the front row or on the floor or in the stands, they could see clearly. There's no ropes or cages in their way. And it's just visually exciting and explosive. Um, and also, too, I thought to myself, how do I make it more, more exciting, too, for fighters and fans? And so taking out the clinch, because in boxing, it's boring to watch two guys clinch when they get hurt. So we took the clinch out. So you got to fight out of inside instead of holding. 
and um, and no ropes, nothing for you to lay on. So you're constantly trying to fight out of there, taking tape and the glove off because now you have to be more accurate with your striking. You can't be sloppy and throw these tough man punches where you throw from anywhere and get away with it. You got to be more accurate or you're going to hurt your hand. So it's making it more God-given talent. You have to be more professional, more accurate, use your footwork. And it makes it faster because of the way all these rule sets are put together. And because it's faster, it's more exciting for the fans. If it's more exciting for the fans, it's going to be popular and it's getting popular. So that's kind of the idea of bringing Valor up. But the people really want to follow us, man. It's called Valor Sports, but our our um, it's called ValorBK.com if you want to visit our website. Um, if you want to visit my website, uh, or not website, but my Instagram, it's at Ken Shamrock Official. Um, also, the Valor one on Instagram is called Valor. Instagram on Valor. Um, but here's a big one, man. I want you to remember this because this is what's launching us. We already did one fight. COVID hit. We backed up a little bit, started building our apps. Now we're getting ready to push out again. January 7th, <clears throat> go to the Valor app. January 7th, we're doing our launch party, which is we're showing our first fight. I'll be there talking about it. You can get on the Valor app and, and come join us and watch those fights. But after we do that, we're also going to be announcing our next dates for all the content that we're going to be releasing uh, with fights because we have a content house and where we're bringing fighters in to be able to find all kinds of talent from everywhere. We're going to different gyms and different places. And we're inviting people to come fight uh, in this content house to see whether or not you got what it takes to fight on our big show. But all those fights that we're doing to try to find these fighters that want to fight on the big show will all be released through the app because we're going to videotape all these fighters trying out and fighting to see whether or not they're going to get on a big show. We're going to be streaming it on our Valor app. So January 7th, check it out. Uh, we can't wait to see this uh, blow up and go where it's supposed to go. People love fighting, man. You're already seeing fans growing. But I'm telling you, this is fast. It's fun. It's exciting. Stay tuned because Valor in no time is going to be on top. Awesome. Well, Mr. Shamrock, thank you so much for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I just want to also shout out to our Valor team. A lot of people working hard out there. I know Matty uh, Marone. I hope I said that was Bircher's name, but he's, he's, uh, he's doing this with me along with Ted. Alex, two Alexes, Steve Gritzi, um, Todd Middendorf. I mean, we just got so many people. I wish I could remember them all. But we got a lot of people on this team that put in a lot of hard work. I'm um, stuck through some good times and bad times. I really appreciated them. And um, now we're just looking up and getting ready to fire. Awesome. Looks like you guys are well in the way, getting some, uh, some good buzz going. But uh, good luck to you with Valor, and thank you for all the time. Really appreciate that. I appreciate you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.